Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the New Books Network. The last thing I wanted to do after working all day was traipse around Harlan looking for that boy. But Mr. Peterson called the house again this evening. Junior didn't show up for work for the second time this week. I contemplated waking Earl to go look for him. But he's ornery if he doesn't get a nap before he goes to the club. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, and today I'm talking to Kimberly Garrett Brown about her novel, Cora's Kitchen. It's 1928, and women around the country are struggling to gain autonomy, but Black women are adding that to their struggle for dignity, fair wages, and decent jobs. Cora James is a librarian at the 135th Street Library in Harlem. She meets a young writer named Langston Hughes, whose poem inspires her to write him a letter and leads to a meaningful correspondence. Then stepping in as a cook to a rich white family so that her cousin doesn't lose the job, is at first just a kind favor, but it leads to questions about identity, the burden of women, and the social structure of that time. Hi, Kimberly. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Galit. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to talk to you today. So how did you come to write an epistolary novel, and how did you think up Cora James? I wrote, <laughs> I wrote Cora's Kitchen as a master's thesis for my MFA. Um, I came to become, it, it became a, an epistolary lo- novel because I love that form, you know, where you're reading someone's journal or letters, and so that's kind of how that started a little bit. It didn't actually start off that way. It was just going to be a, um, it was just going to be a regular novel, but I kept being drawn to the process of writing in the journal. And so that's um, how it sort of grew out of that because I got to know Cora as a character by having her write in a journal, telling herself about me, uh, telling, excuse me, telling herself, telling me about herself. And that's how I that's how I 
started to think when I was writing that, that I kind of like this. It, it sort of feels like I was able to get closer to her, who she was, when I was writing it in that form, as opposed to um, either first person or third person, the epistolary form, I felt like I was able to dive deeper into. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the book is set in 1928. How did you do research on the atmosphere of what's referred to as the Harlem Renaissance and what was happening in the area? I started off by reading any book um, that was written particularly by Black authors during that time. So I read poetry. I read um, novels. I was particularly interested in Langston Hughes. So I read you know books that he had written, his poetry. Um, I also did uh, read different uh, nonfiction, you know, uh, books about the time period, watched movies. Um, some movies were kind of um, comedy type movies that were just set at the time. But then I also watched documentaries, just really a deep dive into the time period. I also took a trip to Harlem and went to um there's a center there and the name is, is escaping me. It starts with an S, but I can't remember the name of it right now. But I went there, which is was the site of the 135th Street Library um, and, and did some research while I was there also. Hmm. It was really exciting to read Cor- Cora's correspondence with Langston Hughes. Was he known to correspond with and encourage other writers? And since you did study him and read him, can you say a bit about Langston Hughes and his illustrious career? I can. Um, I don't know about him writing to other writers. I know that the authors that were involved with what we call the Harlem Renaissance, they had a rich sort of, of interaction with one another, generally at other people's houses where they do like those types of salons or even at the 135th Street Library. So I'm not sure whether or not he he wrote letters to encourage other writers, but I do know that they was um, they were involved with one another. So, for example, one of the things I read during my research was his auto autobiography, which is called The Big C, and he talks about his relationship with some of the other writers during the area, uh, most notably Zora Neale Hurston, and how they took a trip once to. Uh, south to do some research and they wrote out they wrote a play together like all of those so they were very interconnected um, with one another and just reading him he wrote such a variety of things I mean we know him as a poet um, and his poems still resonate today uh, with the same sort of of longing and feeling that I that I personally as as a as a black woman still can can relate to something that he wrote back in the 1920s, but he also wrote a mem- he wrote two memoirs. He wrote uh, a collection of short stories. He wrote one novel, and there was just he was such a f- fantastic writer and able to use his craft in terms of his ability to put words together in a way that all of the forms that he had were just captivating to me. Mm, I agree. Cora loves working in the library, but sometimes. She feels more like a clerk. Can you say more about that? Her love of reading, her literary ambitions. So I think when you think of someone working in the library, you think of the work that is done to assist patrons in doing research or reading books or um, 
you know, just a deep dive into the literature or the books that are there. But work in the library also has a lot to do with tasks. Like I would like wiping down books or um, categorizing books in the card catalog. And at that time, you know, we don't have, didn't have the computers, but it would have been, you know, making sure that they were definitely, um, you know, in the right order and reorganizing the shelves and dusting the shelves. And I took a lot of that, what it means to work in the library from an experience that I had when my children were young, where I was a room mother or something to that effect. I don't know what they called it, but where I worked in the library one day a week um, as a, as a volunteer there and just the type of activities that you have to do things like dusting the books, things like wiping down the shelves. And there's even a time when you have those, that plastic that's over the book where you have to wipe the books down. So I think it was that type of task that if you think about a big library like that, that she was having to do, that it wasn't just all of the process of being engrossed in books and helping patrons. It's also the the tediousness of keeping things neat and organized at the library that is the clerky type things. Okay. Um, books are almost like a, a separate category of character in the novel. It, it's a novel of ide- your uh, Chorus Kitchen. It's about ideas and books. So to that end, what books aside from those mentioned by Cora, including Langston Hughes and Zora Neale Hurston and Dorothy West, what books most inspired you to both to write Cora's story and what you what books most inspired you? Well, one of the books you didn't mention was The Awakening, which also play, which was uh, by Kate Chopin, and that plays a big part in the novel. Um, but also uh, Carol Shields of The Stone Diaries. And I, oh, I, yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I do too. And I, I think what I love about that is the interior life of a woman and her thought process of what is going on, where she doesn't actually talk to people about it, but it's so rich and there's doubts and there's unhappiness in ways that you can't even put your finger on. And the Carol Shields book, I, I hadn't realized it till um, actually, someone brought the name of that book to mind yesterday, how much that book did play into it, because there are just some lines in there that 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 made me really interested in what women deal with in their minds when they're trying to just carve some space for themselves in their lives. And so I would say that is definitely a big one for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Can you say something about Cora's husband, Earl, and his job at Rubens Club? I think I wanted her husband to also be an artist, but I wanted him to be the type of artist. I didn't want him to be a writer because I think that would have been too much conflict in terms of, you know, the male, female, and, and all of the dynamics that happened with that. But I wanted him to be an artist in a way that it's I'm going to say easier, although I don't know because I'm not a musician, but where he could he could express what he what his heart wanted to do in a way that allowed them to bring income into the family to a, a way that they could actually live off of that. And then if you think about the 1920s, also as that jazz age, that gives him an opportunity to be living his dream. And so I wanted that to sort of the juxtaposition of him being able to live his dream and her not necessarily being able to live hers. And so that is, that was part of the 
um, allure of having him be a musician. And also, I thought it would be interesting to look at families or Black families at that time that weren't doing traditional jobs or what you tend to think of for that time period or that time in, in history. Um, and so he he's a man who believes in music. He's a man who believes in um, the furthering of the race um, in terms of not living that traditional life. So I don't necessarily think that he is educated in the same way that Cora is, but also he's trying to elevate his family's experience by what he does. Mm-hmm. Cora also also writes that the book Quicksand, which was written by Nella Larson and published in 1928, is the best book she's ever read, written by a colored woman or man. But she wished, even though she knows it's important to talk about race, she wished that the author had spent more time thinking about her character's mind. Can you say more? Absolutely. So Quicksand, uh, for those who are familiar, is um, really about this biracial woman who is a teacher and she has all of these, she has passions, but she also has interests, but she's so focused on who she, she's so focused on being accepted as um, either being accepted um, that she can't think about anything else, but whether or not she should live in the white world or if she should live in the black world. And she also has this passion for this doctor that she works with at this school that she teaches at, and she won't allow herself at all to pursue that. And so for me personally, as a, as a reader, I was a bit frustrated with that. And, but I understanding that it was the time period. So I decided that that would be something for Cora that she could examine and she could talk about There's a lot of times we get focused, you know, when we read a book now outside of, we read a book written in the 1920s, we get focused on just the, the time period. But I wanted to think of what would she think about during that time period? What kind of things would she be looking for? And so as someone who really wants to expand in her interior life, that's the that's why this book was of interest to her because she's she wants to see someone else do it, particularly a very good writer do it. And that's how she wants to write as well. She wants to get into the mind of her characters. Absolutely, right? absolutely. Uh, yeah. So one of uh, you have several really interesting secondary characters. One is Eleanor. Why does her husband forbid her from attending her women's group meetings. And why does she want to help Cora? So the women's group that uh, Eleanor is attending is called the heterodoxy. And that is one of those, um, I guess it's one of those groups that is very free thinking. There were women in that group who may have been, um, in, in same sex relationships. They definitely would be, different thinking outside of what was acceptable during that time period. And I think that they would have had a negative title or a, ne- a negative way. Their their group would have been thought of as a negative group. And so with them being upper society, he didn't want her associated with that. And the heterodoxy was such that it was somewhat secretive in that the women weren't allowed 
when they came to those meetings, they weren't allowed to take notes or to share anything that was said because they were very free thinking in those meetings. And so him just having a taste of that would be why he would um, prevent her or want to prevent her from doing that. He also is the type of person who's very much interested in appearances. So he's a bank president and he wants his wife to look a particular way and for you know no one to miss for her not to take any missteps there in terms of how she presents herself. Mm-hmm. Um, we met, you mentioned the awakening. I want to know why is Cora so taken with Kate Chopin's book, The Awakening? She brings it up several times. It's, it's at the forefront of her mind, it seems like. The awakening does what she wishes quicksand could have done, where it gives her this, knowledge of that interior part of a woman's life. And so like, as we mentioned a little while ago, like that's how she wants to write because that's what she is curious about. That's what she wants to know about. And I, Kate Chopin does a wonderful job of illustrating these women who are so much more than mothers and wives and, and want more for themselves than what is allowed during their time period. And that is what Cora connects with. She connects with this idea that it's, that there could be more and that she is not, I think sometimes you imagine as a woman that you're the only one that thinks that's way. And I, in, in the context of the story, Cora's Kitchen, she reads this book and she's like, I feel some of those things that she feels. And it's, so it's almost like she sees a part of herself there that she hadn't really been aware of. Yeah. Um, she also talks about writers that we've mentioned, like Dorothy West and Zora Neale Hurston, top-notch writers. But she thinks that they write about men maybe because they want their stories to win awards, which is a whole other story. Why, why stories about men are the ones that win awards. Um, and she thinks that the women in their stories are... She says it in her journal. She thinks they're nothing but props or setting. So it's another thing she wants to avoid. Can you say more? So when I was reading the books set during that time period, it was interesting to me, particularly the books that were written during the Harlem Renaissance by Black writers, is that it didn't really appear to me, except for Zora Neale Hurston, who does it with um, Their Eyes Are Watching God, but I couldn't use her book as an example because it was published after the time period of this novel. So, I mean, Zora Neale Hurston does definitely have the interior life of, uh, I think her name is Janie, is the uh, main character. There, We definitely get an idea of her interior life and what she thinks. But at the time period that Cora is living, that book hasn't been written or published yet, so she can't look at that. Um, but in the books prior to that, women are so torn, more so particularly Black women, with what it means to be Black and not as much as what it means to be a woman. And so the men's stories kind of takes the the issue of being a man and being Black differently um, and more, they, they tend to, to dive deeper into that. And so in a lot of the books that I read, 
during that period, the woman was either a caregiver or she was sort of a whore. I mean, for, you know, that was, it was like these two, these two very distinct lines. And so there wasn't a lot of you were, you know, you either took care of the men or they were the men that they were, you know, that they went to when they wanted something extra than, you know, being cared for in a motherly type way. Yeah. Um, I don't usually ask authors about their publishers, Kimberly, but both your publishing company and your publisher, Inanna, focus on publishing fiction by and about women. Why aren't there more of those? And can you go, can, tell us a little bit about that? I think it goes back to this idea of what we were just talking about with the types of stories I, that... <clears throat> Ayana and both Minerva Rising, and there are there are other ones um, that do that. They focus on the stories of just what it means to be a woman. I think a lot of times, uh, uh, maybe more mainstream um, publishers are more focused on exciting stories, and that's not to say that a woman's story is not exciting. But I think it's there's the interiority of the woman's story and the things that it might be not as action-packed as, you know, the mainstream might be. And it's really important that women have a place to tell their stories because there's so much power, um, not only for other women, but just for us, I think for our world, if we have a place where those voices can be heard. And so I know that's very much part of the reason why I started um, Minerva Rising and Ayana has been around for over 40 years and they have created that place where women's voices can be heard and, 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 and amplified. And that's, that was what made it so exciting to me that they actually uh, decided to publish the book. Mm. Ah, so interesting. I'm so glad they published the book. What, uh, what a, a moving read. I might have to sit down and read it again. <laughs> Just now that I talk to you, now that I have this other perspective. Um, so Kimberly, what are you working on next? Right now I'm working on something set more um, during this time period, which is a bit of a challenge, um, but it has to do with who we think we are. So it's a woman who's uh, finding out that her parentage isn't what she thought it was. And so I'm kind of working, I'm working on that still a little bit in that discovery stage, but um, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting and sort of fun to work with, particularly because it's also associated with a lot of food. So I love writing about food. Oh, it sounds so up my alley. I hope you are going to keep me posted about it. I definitely will. I definitely Uh, will. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kimberly Garrett Brown. It's been a pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure to be a part of your show. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you for joining me today. Again, this is G.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking to Kimberly Garrett Brown about her beautiful new novel, Cora's Kitchen. Hope you have a good book to cuddle up with tonight and every night. Happy reading.